Hey guys, welcome to Seeking What They Sought. My name is Jesse. I'm here with Sean and Anthony. We left Eric behind because who needs him? And uh, today <laughs> we're with, uh, he's going to edit this and he's going to edit me in all sorts of weird ways. Um, we're, here, we're here today with Melissa Schiffbauer. We're doing a um, series called What is an Adventist? And just kind of discussing with various people in the Adventist church a little bit about what it means to be an Adventist to them. And so, uh, yeah, Melissa, thank you so much for being with us today. Melissa is a, is the co-host of the Church Hurt, po- Church Hurt podcast. I almost said Church Hurt, Church Hurt podcast. And, uh, and we're really glad that you're here with us. So, yeah, um, we have just a couple of things that we want to get to. But before we get there, Melissa, tell us about your, a uh, little bit about you and uh, what you're doing right now. And yeah. Yeah. Well, first off, thank you so much for having me. I am not the best podcast listener, but I have sporadically tuned into your podcast. So it's very cool that I got to be on the show. What an honor. (laughs) It is an honor. It's an honor to be here. And so, yeah, a little bit about me. Where do I even begin? I think recently my life has been crazy, to be honest. Mm. But ministry-wise, as you mentioned, I'm really focused right now on this awesome podcast that I've started with Daryl Williams, my co-host. Mm. Um, that is also, by the way, North American Division sponsored, which right. is really cool. And what we're doing on that show is interviewing people who have left the church in some way and then ultimately returned. And then we also discuss with them now that they're back, how do they stay? So that's what I'm doing ministry-wise, and I'm paying the bills by working as a third and fourth grade teacher right now in the greater Tampa, Florida area, and oh, loving that as well. Wow. Yes. I didn't know that. <laughs> that's that yeah, that's a lot. Yes. Sean, Sean, is, Sean also teaches, um, but obviously we already know, we've only been talking to you for a few minutes now, but I already know you're a better teacher than he yeah, is. Yeah, that was oh, that's, there it comes. <laughs> that's probably true. Uh, but, uh, no, no, no. no. I, I, I definitely feel that... Uh, that feeling, the teacher feeling, I don't know about you, but there's, there's a certain feeling at the end of the day, even if it's a great day, you know, it's good with the kids. There's something about, you know, at the end of the day after speaking or classroom management, doing all that stuff, it's, it's a lot of work. It is. Yes. And somehow, even though I'm a night owl, that bedtime just keeps moving up, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm excited to be here with you. Well, so you, um, you grew up Adventist, is that correct? That is correct. Gotcha. I and am third generation pastor's kid. Yeah, PK. and if I if I remember hearing from your podcast, you, like you're like a this the the child of a pastor who was a child of a pastor who was a child of a pastor. Is that correct? Uh, two, two, two. Pastors. Okay, gotcha. So my grandfather was a pastor, and then my dad was a pastor. Yes. Wow. So it's just in the family. What did you? Why? Why did you not follow them? Yeah. What <laughs> happened, Melissa? What happened along the way? Oh man, I did must you? Have in, in all seriousness, did, did you actually ever get that? you know, that from anyone, you know, I, right. I'm in the same camp where my dad and my grandfather were both Adventist pastors. So I, I heard a lot of things about, it's like a dynasty kind of mindset <laughs> sometimes, but, uh, yes, I think I got a free pass a little bit because I was a woman and because I became a teacher. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, there's mm. like three options in Adventism. It's pastor, teacher, or doctor or right. nurse, I guess Amen. I should say. Nurse. So and, Praise uh, the Lord. You know, Amen. I took the teacher one, so I had a free pass there, but you know, off and on, especially now that I've ended up in this interesting ministry role where I do public speak sometimes once in a while, people will be like, Oh, don't you want to go to seminary? And in all transparency, I tried to go to seminary at one point, mm. but um, 
for some reason, God is like, mm, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not going to wow. go to seminary. So uh, here I am with the layman just doing my thing. Nice. Well, I was going to, I was going to ask, um, the, the, the journey of being a pastor's kid is one that either puts you in just the, 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 the worst. Well, let's say I'm, I'm like, if I was just going to, if I was just going to use an example, Jesse, you have to I be careful because you're in the minority pick, here. We're all pastors. You're stere- you going to stereotype us. You're going to put us in a box, you. Jesse. You can either turn out like Sean and Anthony did. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> Or you can turn out great. And the, <laughs> no, but actually, no, but I mean, like, I knew Sean and Anthony in high school. And to say that there was just, there was some terrible things that I know about them. I mean, growing up as a pastor's kid, did you, did you feel like you kind of grew up in a, in a, in like sort of that, I'm going to just obey all the rules sort of stage? Did you grow up in the, I'm going to rebel against, a lot of what I've learned or what I like the influences on my life. What, what, what was your experience there? Yeah, that's a great question. Cause there is definitely an assumption that pastors kids go from one extreme or the other. Like you're either mm-hmm. really, really goody goody or you're really rebellious. I think I tried to do both. <laughs> really? I think up until I was about 18, I was total goody goody, like every rule, every standard, and not only was I doing all the things, but I was proud of it. Like mm. I was, I had a chip on my shoulder. And so, yeah, I definitely went the, dare I say, legalist route and felt like my relationship with God was very transactional. You know, mm. if I do all these things right, I'll be blessed and life's going to be good for me. Mm-hmm. And I looked down on people who didn't do all the right things, which, you know, was very subjective. But if, if I thought it was wrong, it was wrong. Mm. And so then when I was 18, I went through a really major family crisis and I realized this wasn't adding up. I was doing all the right things. My family was in ministry and we were still getting hurt with really horrible consequences of life and mm. ultimately of sin, you know, sin is in the world. And I blamed God for that. So I said, okay, I'm going to go try the other route. And mm. that's where I turned. And then I became the rebellious PK and, uh, you know, started drinking, was really into boys, parties, just kind of went like total 180. Mm-hmm. And you went to Southern, correct? I did go to Southern. Adams so University. Was, yes. all of us went to Walla Walla. So my assumption is that Southern was the bad influence on you. Is that <laughs> correct? Southern, Southern that? was the problem. Yeah. Actually. Oh, that, wow. That, that was it. <laughs> Here Sorry. we go. <laughs> not, not, a, not enough onions. Oh, yeah. man. No mustard. Uh, what can no I mustard. say? There's so many things to say. But <laughs> No, I love Southern. Nothing against Southern, and I don't blame them in any way for my experience. But I think I was very good at outwardly portraying that goody-goody Adventist role. But inside, I was really hurting from um, things that happened in my family. So to give a little detail, my brother specifically went through some very severe health challenges that he still even to this day is going through. They were never remedied. And so I just didn't know how to handle that and couldn't handle it and had tried being goody goody, had tried the rules, had tried legalism and it didn't work for me. Yeah. Cause of that, like, like you, you stated this, I think, um, very clearly, but just to, to recap that transactional idea, if I do this, then God will reward yes. us with, or me by extension, my family with health and, and we will, we'll avoid a lot of the problems or the pitfalls that is supposed to happen to the world, but not supposed to happen to us, I guess, sort exactly. of might be the mindset. Yeah. Now, did you, um, coming out of that, did you feel like there was a complete rejection of belief 
or was there a just sort of like, I still believe I'm just going to sort of put that completely to the side and live however the heck I want to. What was, what was that journey for you? Yeah, it's a great question. I think my personality is very all or nothing. And so I'm like 110% for God or I'm really against him. Mm-hmm. And I would say I became agnostic. That would be the best way to describe where I was in that moment. I was never able to fully become atheist. In my humble opinion, it's more logical that we are created by divine design. Now, that doesn't mean I was convinced it was a good, you know, God, but I always thought there was some kind of higher power out there, but I very much felt he was untouchable. You know, there was no way to please him. There was no way to communicate with him. And so I would say I was searching for my morals. I really didn't have any idea of what to root them in. And I think I kind of, the laziness in me kind of did fall back on what I'd been taught while I was raised in the Adventist church. But I was drifting. I I was lost. And, you know, ultimately, to make a long story short, I became very suicidal because I wasn't grounded in anything. There was this God out there, but I didn't know him. And the drug, I shouldn't say drugs, the alcohol, for me, it was specifically alcohol, the alcohol, the partying, you know, the boys, it wasn't doing it for me. And, And it brought me to really rock bottom. And it wasn't until I was at rock bottom and I actually did reach out for help and got help for my suicide and my alcohol problem at that point that I finally said, I have got to figure this thing out. Like, why am I here on this planet? I've got to do some research. And from that point, I started researching. I I bought a book called 50 Top Religions of the World, and I started researching. Now, I remember from listening listening to the the pilot episode of your podcast that you you said that through that journey, you ended up really, you kind of came back into Christianity and then ended up kind of dumping yourself back into Adventism or like feel, <laughs> feeling like almost like dumped into Adventism again yes. and being like, <laughs> being mad about it. Tell, tell us a little bit about that feeling, that experience. Yes, that. absolutely. I, I did end, ba- end up back at Christianity because when you really study out, you know, these different spiritual texts, the Bible, for me at least, shows the best selfless you know, plan for society. It shows a, a plan for society that, in my opinion, is functional and logical and works. And so that's where I ended up. But I, I couldn't accept the mainstream Christian views because the mainstream Christian views include an eternal torment in hell. And that never worked for me. I, I mean, I don't know, maybe it was the Adventism from my childhood. Maybe it was just Runs my deep. rational side coming out. But I just couldn't picture God, you know, torturing people for infinity, especially considering we only live at most, you know, 100 years. So that didn't work for me. And so that limits your options in Christianity quite a bit. And and then I found my, my way back to Adventism. And I was mad because, you know, like I said earlier, my upbringing, even though it wasn't intentional, was a very legalistic upbringing. And I have a really quick example of that. Uh, when I was maybe, I think I was like seven, somewhere between seven and 10 years old, I remember going with some friends to Taco Bell. And this was before vegetarianism was very popular. And before the menu had like a lot of obvious vegetarian options. And I was used to going there with my parents and they would order for me. But this particular time I had to order with my friends for myself and I ordered something with meat on it and I was vegetarian. I was actually vegan at the time and I was sitting with my friends eating what I had ordered. And one of my friends was like, oh, Melissa, like that has meat in it. Like you don't eat meat. And I was so scared in that moment, recognizing I had eaten meat by accident that I actually went to the bathroom and I threw up 
Oh my and I forced goodness. myself to throw up because in my mind, if I ate that meat, I was my salvation was questioned. Wow. Um, and wow. so, yeah, that's the world I lived in. And I don't think my parents raised me with that intention. I just think for whatever reason, the environment I was in, the way that God's law and commandments were presented to me, like I said earlier, it was very transactional. Yeah. Mm. Can you, and as Jesse said, like, during your pilot episode, you talk a little bit about this, but I wondered if you could share about, do you feel like there was a catalytic moment or something where you were like, okay, I'm going to come back. You mentioned mm -hmm. rock bottom and not to, you know, dig into your deepest trauma, but to, yeah, I'm a little curious if you could talk about that. What was the thing, the shift moment? Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, I became very suicidal. And when I was at Southern, I wrote a suicide note. And I, before I went out to, I was actually, if you're familiar with Southern's campus, I was going to go in front of the train that runs outside of Southern. And before I chose to do that, I made one last call to the campus nurse. I mean, I was in such a low place that I didn't even have like a dependable friend to call. Wow. Like I was just scrolling through phone contacts and I'm like, oh, the nurse, like that's, you know, okay, let me give her a try. And I basically told myself, okay, this person answers the phone and I'll tell them or like they don't and I'm going and praise God, she answered the phone and wow. that was my rock bottom moment. And so I did go to rehab for about a week and they monitored me to make sure, you know, if you're suicidal, they got to take that seriously. Yeah. And, and I went through that. And like I said, I came out of there and my options were die or find a reason to live. And I didn't have a reason to live, but I did have something pulling me to find one, which at looking back, I think is the Holy Spirit. And that's why I started researching. And when I ended up, you know, fast forwarding back to where we are in the story, when I ended up back in Adventism, I couldn't go back to the Adventism I had been raised in because it obviously didn't work for me. And so I had to start breaking down all these things that I knew about God and the Bible and Ellen White and Adventism and everything. And I had to get to the roots. And when you get to the roots, you're looking at God's character. And so I really had to go back all the way to God's character and determine for myself what is God's character before I could build any kind of larger, you know, worldview or, or come up with any other standards for myself. So, sort of in the sense that, like, if I'm going to have a relationship with this God, I have to know, like, who he is. And yes. then from there flows a relationship. Yeah. Yes. But it, it's interesting because, and and I think we want to ask the question at some point, like, what do you think an Adventism, Adventist is or what is an Adventist to you? But before we really get to that, like, you've you've really run the gamut from from a space of what many of us grew up in, which is a, a really traditional space, which tends towards legalism. And I think that probably all of us share in a lot of the, the, the nuances of your upbringing. Um, like if just, yeah, <laughs> going out to eat and accidentally ordering some sort of meat and being horrified, you know, yes. I never, <laughs> I never did go to the bathroom and throw up, but like, as but you just were being that, horrified. I, I had an experience like two weeks ago where I ate, some meat that's not on the Adventist approved list. Sorry <laughs> to my conference. <laughs> and I, for the, like the first time ever in my life, I'm 31. I didn't feel shame. And it was like new. It wow. was no, it was notable. And this yeah. happened two yeah. weeks ago. So it's, yeah. I just want to, we need to have a conversation. That's the slippery slope. You didn't feel any shame. <laughs> Before you know it, you're going to be eating people. So, you know, <laughs> that's where it he ends. Didn't, he didn't feel, he didn't feel shame, but he felt indigestion from never having that type of meat. Actually, that's yes. that's, that's right. absolutely true. Scott wasn't ready. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it's so, I mean, and then you run the gamut into what what seems like a more, um, um, and I, I want to be careful about how I say this, but it seems like a more loosely held and yet more tighter held Adventism. Mm. And yes. when I say loosely held, it's maybe holding on to a lot of those things that you grew up with a little bit looser, but then owning owning what it is what you do believe in for yourself in a different way. Um, but it, it, it's, we, we talk about maybe the conservative liberal divide. We talk about maybe the conservative spaces of Adventism tending toward, towards legalism, the progressive spaces of Adventism sort of trending towards uh, heresy. <laughs> um, sure. Sure. I don't know. Or, or just inaction or, or lots, or just really not taking God seriously or whatever. Um, if you if you had to take those terms, how would you look at those terms? Would you consider yourself someplace on that spectrum? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's a big conversation that I feel <laughs> a lot of us, and I'm a millennial, so a lot of millennials are like wrestling with, you know, where do I fit? I think the way I can best describe myself would be that culturally, I'm very liberal and doctrinally, I'm very conservative. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you know, I don't have an issue with tattoos and jewelry. I don't have a major issue. I have a health issue with choosing to eat what we might call unclean meat, mm-hmm. but I don't have like a salvational issue with it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yet doctrinally, I believe Ellen White had the gift of prophecy. I think the Sunday law is a probable event in the future. I still respect the Sabbath as Saturday, you know, even to the point that I might not go out to eat on Saturday unless I really have to. So doctrinally, I'm very conservative, but outwardly, I look very liberal. And maybe even the way I present myself at times, because I have that agnostic background, can strike people, you know, as very liberal. And and in fact, I would say if some of my followers and some of my critics were to listen to this episode and hear me say that I believe Ellen White has the spirit of prophecy, they might be like, what in the world? We thought Melissa didn't like Ellen White. Because I will say things, for example, like I don't recommend all her books. I don't recommend all her books because I am culturally liberal. There are some things she says in there that I find to be not useful, frankly, in my in my outreach. And so I don't recommend them. But, yeah, it's challenging for people to wrestle with that because that blurs the lines a bit between these categories like like you're pointing out. Oh, I love I love this is the start of a of a much larger conversation about this, of course. (laughs) But (laughs) but I mean, it's 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 refreshing to hear because what's what's. I mean, maybe a, a really felt experience for a lot of people within Adventism is that there isn't a there isn't an option for a lot of people in their, especially growing up, to have somebody in their life who can hold those things in tension. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mm-hmm. it's black and white. It's either Ellen White had the gift of prophecy, and so we're going to quote her in pretty much every sermon several times, and quote her, you know, out of context or however it is, or, you know, you're going to, you're not going to go out to eat on Sabbath. And that is like an absolute no, no. And you don't even do it unless you, you like, you don't even do it unless you have to, like, you just, you'd rather starve than actually go out you know, than, than break <laughs> sure. that. There's all of that. Whereas what it sounds like for you is that there's definitely conviction, but also kind of an understanding, maybe a conviction of, of cer- certain doctrines, but also a conviction that God is, God is, a lot more caring and compassionate uh, towards us than he is like demanding and mm. stringent. It's, it's what it sounds like. Yeah, I agree. Amen. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cause that's, that's again, something that I don't think many of us grew up with and maybe is a huge reason of why there is such a rate of like, I just don't want anything to do with the church past mm. college 
or even in college or even high school, because you mm-hmm. start to open up your worldview a bit. And like you said, you have the agnostic background. It sounds like, and then you, you were reading a book on like the 50, you know, 50 most, most uh, popular religions or biggest religions. And it's like, just even that in and of itself is sort of a thing that many people have not even looked into, mm-hmm. especially yes. in the more traditional spaces. And so you go into those spaces and at least for me, it can be pretty jarring because I grew up in those spaces, but have sort of been exposed to a lot of other other things. So I have my convictions, but to go back into more of the traditional spaces, I'm like, whoa, there's not a lot of openness here. It's a, it's a really interesting experience. Yes, I agree. I think, you know, for me, it goes back to what I said earlier about I'm like 110% or I'm zero. And so for me, when I was coming back to Adventism, I had to have a really good argument for it. And like, I had to really be able to properly advocate for it in order to fully embrace it. If I can't go up to an atheist or an agnostic or a Buddhist or a Hindu or whatever you want to come up with and confidently tell them what I believe in, do Mm -hmm. I even really believe in it? Mm -hmm. That was kind of my outlook. And so, Mm -hmm. and that's part of the reason I've taken the angle with my content that I have, and it's certainly an imperfect angle and I've made a lot of mistakes, but what I'm getting at with what I say online is I want to be honest about some of the faults or some of the challenges that I see in the denomination because people on the outside are not going to play games about it. Like they are Mm. going to be, they have nothing to lose by Mm. being honest about some of these challenges. And so it would be really silly in my opinion for me to pretend those things don't exist when, when other people on the outside are going to bring them up. People are, and, and this is all around the place. People are very quick to, immediately when they see whether it's a religion or a point of view politically, whatever, they'll, they'll put that position in a box very quickly. And I'm wondering, do you have like, as you've talked about having that experience to answer, uh, atheists, agnostics, other religions, do you have like that short answer for essentially what does it mean to be an Adventist? Why are you an Adventist? Obviously there's so much nuance to, to any belief system, but is what there, a segue. What yeah. a segue. Is there so like, nice. Right into the question that we were going to get to. Wow. That was, that was impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm complimenting it you. It would have been a great segue if you hadn't mentioned uh, That's that. That's why I, I mentioned it. That it was a great you segue. Just, I mentioned just, it specifically it to Sabbath. So specifically to Sabbath. Every compliment you. Jesse ever gives me is actually meant to bring me down. <laughs> um, but no, really, is it's so hard to, and and again, you're a teacher of third and fourth graders. I teach junior high. You know that the, the attention span that they have is next to nothing. And it seems like our culture and our world is more and more going towards those, those short clips, those, those immediate reactions. And we become very hypercritical, whatever, religious, political. And so we kind of are forced to have that elevator pitch for why we believe in something. Do you have like that? I don't want to say rehearsed, but you're prepared uh, in a way that if you're sitting next to one for someone just for a short amount of time, like they ask you, how do you respond to that? Sure. I I think my response is very Adventist and also not Adventist at all in mm. that my response is going to jump straight to the character of God. The mm. character of God is either love or it's not. And if it's not love, then, you know, even if there is a God, we're destined for help. You know, it's not worth it. Mm-hmm. And so I jump to that. And then because I believe God is love, I have to be an Adventist. 
because when I evaluate all the doctrinal systems of the other Christian religions, the other denominations, there's something that always falls short. And that's not to say that Adventism is perfect, because to be frank, they all fall short. We are sinful humans trying to do the best that we can. But that being said, I think it's the closest thing we've got this far. And and there's a f- several different reasons for that. The greatest one for me was obviously, you know, annihilationism, the view that there is a merciful end for those who do not choose God. Uh, and then also the Sabbath is such a big component. Um, just those two things alone, it's very challenging to find another denomination that has even those two things alone. Yeah. You know, and then you can bring in the health component. You can bring in the history, you know, the way that... Ellen White and her friends were such trailblazers, you know, you can really see the Holy Spirit moving in our history. And so those all kind of come into the vision of what I'm talking about with someone. But I, I would say my elevator pitch is God's character. He has to be love. And when you're using God's love as the litmus test for what denomination or what, you know, worldview you're going to hold, it really works, in my opinion. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, if you've listened to this podcast before, there you might know that I tried hard to leave the church, um, not because I don't care about Adventism, but just because it's like it, there's some re- very frustrating things about it. But sure. what's funny is as I'm processing, like, where do I go? What do I do? Because I still believe in God. Like, I'm more convinced than ever, ever at this point in my life, like that God is is real, that He is good, and all this stuff. I'm just like, I don't know where else to go. Like, especially as a pastor, because I'm I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. It's my heart. It's what I want to do. I'm yeah. like, okay, I'm looking into these other jobs, thinking about applying to like a, another church, and I'm like, this is the weirdest thing. Where I'm like, I'm gonna go in there and be like, hey guys. You know, I believe most, almost absolutely most of what you believe, but I don't believe God will burn people forever. And that's a bit <laughs> of a key doctrine. <laughs> and so, just a little like, bit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I can't, in good faith, just not say what I b- believe if someone were, to, someone were to ask me. So, if I'm like in the context of like counseling somebody who has some spiritual questions and they're like, well, what do you believe about that? I'm not going to be like, well, I can't really say because Here's I work the official for position of our... <laughs> because I'm pretty con- I'm pretty convicted about about the fact that uh, that God it, it, the Bible is at 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 worst is at best is at worst is at worst uh, uh, un- unclear about what happens afterwards at at best I mean it's it's pretty clear that there is a there is a bent towards annihilationism as opposed to um, as opposed to burning people forever. And so it's just one of those things like that was really important for me. So it's, it's a funny thing. I I agree with you that like, there's just this weird thing where if you're going to come back into the, if you're going to come back into Christianity from the context that you did, or if you're me trying to leave Adventism, like, where do you go? Mm -hmm. And, And then you talk about Sabbath. There's actually, it's cool because there's a lot of other churches that seem to be finding Sabbath as like a yes. maybe talking about it from a practice standpoint, practice this. You don't necessarily have to worship like on a specific day, but like keep Sabbath where you, you don't do these things. And yeah, it's actually really cool. And so, and a lot of them are describing Sabbath better than Adventism really maybe ever has, but that's really cool. But it's still, when you get to like hell, that's one of those things. It's like, I, it's such a key point for me. Yes. I don't know exactly how to deal with it outside of, outside of the church. So yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one. But do you find that Adventism is well actually let me let me just do a couple of bingo questions with you here. If if you were to say that like you have to like you're an Adventist or not off of these questions. And I'm not asking this to trap you, but just I'm, <laughs> I'm curious because it's a starting point for conversation. Oh, this is gonna be great. Yeah. Um, do you believe that 
Uh, I wanted to come up with a joke one. I can't. Um, <laughs> do you? But I mean, let's talk, let's talk about Ellen White. Do Doritos that or to, Fritos in the haystack? There you go. Which one is tr- which one is true? Oh man! Or which one is a true Can Adventist? I say neither. neither. Oh. oh, which one? Which one are you? Which one would you call? I like to just put the triangle tortilla chips. Oh, okay. Oh, gotcha. okay. Yes. That's fair. Yes. That's fair. It's the Doritos. I know Eric made a meme that we posted on our page. We talked like he has Doritos in it. I. That sounds. That sounds like no. sacrilegious. Doritos that's like a sacrilegious <laughs> act. That sounds like how are you? Okay. Anyways, it, it was it, for on a serious note. Um. Let's talk about Ellen White for a second. Do you believe that you would need to believe that Ellen White had the gift of prophecy in order to be an Adventist? And oh, I, again, I'm not, asking, no, I'm not asking. No, I'm not asking that to trap there. you. I'm not asking sure. that to that to trap you. I really mean that. Um, it's but it's a genuinely interesting question that I genuinely have. So yeah. Yes, I I love these questions, <laughs> but they are tricky. Uh, I would say technically no. I'm going to say no. Mm. And and I would go a little deeper by saying, I actually have on my YouTube channel a video where I, I titled it, Ellen White is Dead. <laughs> mm. um, because she is, you know. Melissa <laughs> Melissa is Nietzsche. Just God is and, dead. And, um, yeah. you know, Ellen White is dead. And so we can't, like, treat her as though she's alive. And mm. And I think what matters most about her, and I think if we could conjure her up, that sounds crazy, but if we could do it, you know, what mattered about her was the message that she carried. And I think it's possible to believe in the message Ellen White carried without believing in Ellen White, if that Mm. makes sense. I think sometimes we get very hung up on the mode of transportation and we lose sight of the value of what was being transported. And I think that if we really believe in some of the things that she said and in the things we see in scripture about end times, there are people right now in the world who've never heard of Adventism, who've never heard of Ellen White, and they are actually very firm believers in her message <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because it's not mm-hmm. her message. It's the message that the Holy Spirit gave to her. Mm-hmm. And I think as we're thinking about the end of the earth, the time of revival, the time of, dare I say, the latter rain, you know, these are interesting terms that mean different things to different people. But if we're really serious about getting the gospel out there and seeing like a major conversion of hearts before Jesus comes again, we have to let go of things that might be, dare I say, stumbling blocks, and we have to fixate on what matters. And what matters is her message. The mm-hmm. message she carried for us is really, in my opinion, what makes somebody an Adventist. See, that's a that's a far more healing, I think, space for especially people who may have felt burned or or disillusioned with with her, because that's one of the things that has always been interesting to me. Is there's this really big focus around her specifically, mm-hmm. and like it even. I mean, you you could argue. I think that it would maybe depend, Anthony, you tell me on how seminary professors believe on this, but the standard definition of like our belief on the spirit of prophecy is not so much that like, hey, people have the gift of prophecy at some point. We believe that people can have that. It was It's very specific. We believe that somebody specific had the gift of prophecy. And it's like, that's a, that's a really interesting hill to, to sort of put our, our flag on when it's like okay if if we believe that someone had a gift of prophecy that's a valuable asset to a church but you're not staking your entire like thing your entire belief system on that and when i look at scripture i'm like well if ellen white says that she's the lesser light to scripture it's like then you could get everything that she's talking about from scripture and if that's the case you don't you don't need 
it's you can you can use Ellen White, but you don't need Ellen White in order sure. to follow God. And that's that's always been a I, w- I would imagine that some people, maybe from a more conservative, maybe your critics, Melissa, would sure. <laughs> would probably hear you say that and be like, oh, there it is. There, there it is. is. <laughs> She's a heretic. We knew it. <laughs> well, I feel as if the follow-up question, or really it's the same question, just said in a different way, is like in our, you know, the 28 fundamentals, it, it says what it says. And so the question is, Are you an Adventist in truth or in practice, like or like like on paper or in reality? If you were to not believe in Ellen White, if you were to never read her, if you were to not even believe she was a prophet, could you still remain an Adventist and truly be in practical reality an Adventist as seen by other Adventists? Or would there or would you be losing out on something? I'm curious what mm, you think. That's an interesting perspective. I mean, I don't want to discount in any way the work that she did. I mean, she's a very accomplished author. Obviously, God had placed a calling on her life. It's very obvious that, to me at least, that the Holy Spirit was actively working in her. And I don't want to discount that. But I I just keep thinking about her own quotes. And I keep thinking about her own view of the Advent movement when it began, when it was just her, 17 years old, with her other teenage young adult friends, you know, Mm -hmm. having these all-night prayer sessions and diving into the Bible and just they were not fixated on finding a prophet or a prophetess. They were fixated on understanding the Bible as it truly read. Mm. I mean, you read the great controversy and she's, you know, really supporting, you know, Wycliffe and, and Martin Luther and just these people who were like champions of getting back to the bare basics of scripture. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what matters the most. And so it's a complicated question because of course everybody has their own culture and their own opinion about Adventism, but like, In my opinion, you know, when we look at the roots of the movement, the roots of the movement had nothing to do with, dare I say, a creed or, you know, accepting this or that person as an authority. It was Mm -hmm. all about scripture and all about the character of God. And, And I think if we're serious about our calling and our unique angle as a denomination, we really need to think about finding ourselves in that mindset once again. Mm. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's the, great. The, the value of recognizing that Adventism was staunchly against creeds, and it's it's kind of an interesting journey for us. I mean, it's like, how do you not dictate what your beliefs are? Because if you don't dictate what they are, then they're nothing, ultimately. But at the same time, like, if you were to read the, the text of the belief from from our, 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 uh, our uh, 28 fundamental beliefs, it's pretty much that the spirits, the, the scripts, the spirits, the scriptures testify that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit is prophecy. This gift is 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 an identifying mark of the remnant church. And here's what's interesting: instead of it just being identifying mark, like you know, your sons will prophesy, and you know, the, from like the the quotes to quote the prophets. And I think I even got that quote wrong. But um, but instead of that, it's we believe it was manifested in the ministry of Ellen G. White. And that's just, that's a it's like that's a really specific mm. thing to stake stake our claim of about where that's manifested in yes. and and uh, and so that's what something that's one of the fundamental beliefs i'll just be honest i've always had an issue with because sure. maybe not always not when i was five but <laughs> ever since i could actually kind of process through it because i we've talked about ellen white on the podcast before and whether she's a prophet or not um just to say that as a general statement it's uh it's it's no it's known that like she she wrote some things that were really amazing and helpful, mm-hmm. yes. but to stake your claim on it, it's that's a big one. Yes, um, 
I, yeah. if I can interject for a moment, yeah, I, I think the way I've come to terms with it is I really look back on the messianic prophecy and mm. I look at how the Jewish community had access to that prophecy and in, in plain language, they said everything right. Like what they were saying, like, okay, the Messiah is coming. He's going to be a king. He's going to do this, that, and the other. Here's all the signs that are going to prove who he is. They had all of that down, but yet they still missed it. Like they thought he was going to be a king in a completely different sense than yep. what the prophecy was saying. And I think that, you know, for better or for worse, probably for worse, in our current climate, we're doing the same thing, in my opinion, with Ellen White, with this concept of the spirit of prophecy. We have all the pieces to the puzzle, perhaps, but are we putting them together in the proper way or in the way that it's really going to happen in the future? I'm not convinced that we yeah. are. And I, I think that there's nothing technically wrong in that statement, like because I really do believe she had the gift of prophecy. But I think, like you said earlier, it, it almost puts a limit on the mm -hmm. power of God by saying she is and was and always will be the spirit of prophecy. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't open up for more people. And and I don't see that in scripture. In scripture, I see a much bigger picture of who God is and how the Holy Spirit is going to work. And so I don't think it's necessarily a matter of being right or wrong. I think we just like are ignorant mm -hmm. <laughs> of like oh, some yeah. of the things that are going to happen. Yeah. The, the problem culturally is, well, I'll say culturally within Adventism, it seems like the practice is there's not this uh, and I've spoken about this before, this wiggle room to understand and learn. You know, we talk about this idea of new light or present truth, but I don't know if we really practice that idea very well. Mm. Uh, and and especially if you're in Adventist employment, and there's this different layer, right? We've we're all employed by the church in our own ways. And Melissa, I know even with your podcast, your your NAD runs, so that sense you you know what that's like. Um, and you grew up with, as a pastor's kid, so you know that there's this political atmosphere um, when it comes to legalism, when it comes to your appearance at church. Yes. You know, and, and Anthony and I grew up with that and know that very well, both going to Adventist schools and at Adventist church. Um, so with, with that all in mind, it, it just seems to me that it's, it's really hard, whatever issue it is, whether we're talking about Ellen White and how we really practically apply. And, and like you said, you, you, there's pieces that you think are beautiful, but there's other things you don't recommend. Um, to a lot of Adventists, that's immediately a red flag that you would discern right. like yes. that. That's difficult. Yes. Uh, and, and same thing, you know, we've had discussions with people about uh, six-day literal creation uh, sure. when we talk about LGBTQ. And so when, when it comes to this, this whole idea of what Adventism is, if, if we even imply that there's this possibility that we continue to shift and evolve what Adventism is, that itself comes across as heretical to people. Sure. Um, what what do we do with that? What do we do with this divide in in our church where there's this certain aspect of this is literally what we believe and this is what it means to be an Adventist versus we are evolving. We it's that Adventist certainty. That Adventist certainty that we it feels like so deeply a part of our identity that to not have the certainty feels anti Adventist almost. Yeah. Yeah. How do you think about that? I think we have to get back to what really matters. And I think maybe that takes a certain level of self-reflection and self-evaluation, you know, in our own hearts, in our own families, in our own community, in our own church. Because like I said, what brought me back to Adventism wasn't Ellen White. It wasn't the diet. It wasn't the dress code. It wasn't even, you know, like the literal creation. It wasn't Big Franks or Haystacks <laughs> <laughs> or Pathfinders. I could go on. But uh, it was the character of God. And, 
And when we dig into the character of God, we reach Jesus Christ. And when we reach Jesus Christ, we reach the book of Revelation. And we see that we have a very, you know, interesting calling for this last time. We want to help people know who God really is. And I think that's what should be forefront and center of our of our life and our sight mm. for everything. And so I think we really need to evaluate as a denomination what our priorities are. You know, is my priority some of this cultural, traditional stuff, dare I say, fundamentalist tendency that has been developing in the church? Or is my, you know, priority Christ and the gospel mm. and a clear picture to the world of who God is? Because, you know, I think at the same time, like we are a denomination for a reason and and there are a lot of different groups within Christianity for a reason. So we can't merely say, oh, I love Jesus and I'm going to throw out the rest. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there is a fear of that. You know, I think from the conservative mm-hmm. side, which honestly is a lot of my family members, you know, there's this fear that we're going to become too non-denominational kind of vibe, you know, like too accepting. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if you have a clear picture of who God is, his character, all these other elements are going to fall into place. Mm. And and I think also, this is kind of a tangent, but I think also we have to consider the work of the Holy Spirit. I think mm. we sometimes take too much credit for the things that are happening in the world. And, you know, we feel this burden to beyond what we should be feeling, um, to be Adventist and to be the latter reign and to be the last generation and to be all these things. And we're not anything like we're vessels, you know, it's the Holy Mm. spirit that's doing this work. And, and this is kind of blunt, but at the end of the day, we can get on board with who God is and what he's doing, or we can get trapped into some other like offset, you know, agenda Mm. and, and be led astray. And so it's really kind of like, what do you want to do with your life? I love that how you're you're saying that in such a blunt way, but you're talking about get on board with the agenda of God as love, correct? Mm. Right? Yes. That's that's what I yes. hear, which is so it's so redemptive to me. It it feels it feels very Adventist, the language you use, but it's you're speaking about, man, we either get on board with this God who is love, first and foremost, or we get we get trapped in some other thing that's not really the Bible Adventism. Yeah. Yes. And the, the response would be, and, and this is not, I, I'm playing devil's advocate. I'm not saying this is my own personal view of it. I think sure. the conservative response would be that, yes, we agree God is love, but that by sacrificing any small ounce of this doctrine or the way we interpret it as an That's Adventist true. church will compromise what God's love really is. And, and to a point we would agree, right? We would all generally agree that if we believed in hell doctrine, it would compromise, like you said, yes. what God is love is because there's other denominations that do believe in hellfire, eternal hellfire, and still maintain that theologically God is still love. And they have their own, you know, we've all heard the arguments uh, of why they believe hell doctrine still points to a loving God, but we disagree with that. We reject that. I, I would just ask you, um, Melissa, what, if any, is there any Adventist doctrine or unique Adventist belief that you would say for you is a non-negotiable, like if someone were to say, and I already used, we used hell as an example, but as an, I wouldn't say that's fully unique. There are other, and, ap- and I'm assuming other- that you mean, I'm assuming you mean like distinctive as opposed to, because obviously like God existing is a foundational doctrine. That's right. Well, yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Unique, <laughs> sure. yeah, unique to the Adventist, unique yeah. to the Adventist doctrine. Um, is there anything unique to Adventism that you would say is a non-negotiable? Hellfire isn't really fully unique to Adventism. So sure. w- would there be something that you'd say is like, this is a non-negotiable for wiggle room? Like if you stopped believing this, 
Adventist foundation, you're no longer an Adventist? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. I think, I, I don't know if I have like one thing because in my mind, part of the reason I ended up at Adventism was actually because of the doctrines as a whole. Mm -hmm. So I think you could easily throw out one here or there and, and still have a pretty good collection of Adventism. I don't think I could narrow it down to just one doctrine. Like sure. I like the doctrines as a collection. And, and I think that's why I'm Adventist because otherwise, like you're saying, there are other options. There are other churches out there that support annihilationism. There are other churches out there that meet on Saturdays. Like there are things you can find, but to find the collection that we have is very unique. And I think some of the things that perhaps I cannot negotiate on um, would be, you know, like the Trinity for me, because the Trinity, for me, it's going to come back to the character of God. And I feel that all of the Adventist doctor doctrines collectively create a beautiful image of God. I know we have like one or two or three that specifically address God as a being, uh, as a deity, but I, I think you need all of them to get the clearest picture of him, if that makes sense. I don't know if I'm saying that effectively. No, I, I actually really, that was a, a really well put because one of the things that is weird, it, to, to go back to what I was talking about, about thinking about leaving is to go somewhere else, it's like I could, I, you know, these doctrines as a whole, maybe I generally agree with, but there's this one that's really important that I don't agree with. I come back to Adventism and I'm like, well, I don't actually agree with all of these, but as a whole, this is mm -hmm. a more holistic picture. It's like a weird thing that feels, yes. it, I don't quite know how to put my finger on it. And what I find, I was thinking about this as, as you guys were talking, I was just like, I think, I feel like Adventism has really fallen into this trap of, I don't know exactly how to put it, but needing so badly to protect something hmm. that we've lost what we're really protecting. Hmm. And That's the, deep. yeah, and, but it happens all over the place. Like it's happening in politics right now. Like it's, it, you know, like you take conservatives, we're, you know, we're protecting the nuclear family. And I'm like, yeah, but what's really actually kind of funny about it and ironic is that the more that you, focus on that you're you're uh, like there, it's like the other side of you starts to, to decay and like that the way you talk about other people and the way that you treat other people actually shows your kids some really bad things about how to you know be in the world and it's like but you don't even see that coming because you're, you're so staunchly trying to protect this one aspect that you lose the other part and same thing liberals do the same thing and so it's like it feels like we've done that where especially for me as like growing up Adventist, I, I really battle with this feeling of like, I've come back to Adventism. I found a love for Adventism, but I absolutely hate often just going back in the discussion about like the traditionalism or the fundamentalism as you might describe, because it feels like I'm fighting something there, mm -hmm. even though I don't even believe it. And I, I'm not living in that anymore because it's it's so deeply frustrating and it portrays God so poorly and it has so many people trapped um and that's like it's it's a just a weird thing like it 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 feels like that fundamental side of adventism is trying to protect something so badly that it's lost the character of God which as you would describe is sort of the main thing for adventism like we we would say that we we would hope that our doctrines our belief systems show a, 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 an idea of God that is just so much kinder Yes. Then, then you might find elsewhere. That's deep, but like the, when you lose that in the well, 
God really wants, like God's law matters so much that you have to do all of these things. And it's like, yes. whoa, okay, we've gotten really far off. I don't, it's just, I, just, I don't even have a question. That's just sort of a, yeah, <laughs> something that I was feeling. But Well, that's yeah. really what, what I hear, Melissa, what I hear you saying with all of this is the, the, the very, the thing that was the most compelling to you that brought you back and the reason you stay and the reason you can plant your flag is because of this picture that these doctrines present of yes. this, this type of God that you find compelling. Yes, I agree. <laughs> we, we didn't, uh, we need to ask her more bingo card questions, Jesse. We, we asked the Ellen White one. I was going to ask her about six day literal creation. <laughs> How do you feel about it? I, man, that's a loaded <laughs> question. I, I think it's something I can't make a definite statement about because yeah. I, I think there's a lot of unknown. I wasn't there. And I think that's the agnostic side Fair. of me coming out, but I wasn't there. And I, I am not a geologist. I cannot go out and look at a rock and tell you how old it is. But I will say I, I don't really think it was billions of years. I don't see a case for that. Uh, I'll just give one quick example. When the lunar the first landing on the moon took place, they expected based on their calculations, based on the evolution theory, that you know there was gonna be a lot more dust on the moon than there was. And that's why in the video footage, you can research this, I'm kind of not well citing it, but when you see the footage of the lunar landing, it's like way too high, <laughs> you know, it's mm. way higher than it needs to be. And that's because based on their theory of evolution, there should have been all these layers and layers and layers of dust on the moon and it wasn't there. Mm. So the rational side of me looks at things like that and I'm like, mm, there's no way that it's as old as they think it is, you know. Mm. But mm -hmm. at the same time, I'm not so convinced that it's not just because it's not that old doesn't mean I'm going to say it's definitely 2000 years. Um, yeah. So I'm the mm -hmm. kind of person that I'm never going to give you an age. I'm going to say I don't know. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'm going to say I don't know. Uh, but that being said, I do think there's something to be said about the Jewish calendar. Uh, so mm. when we're thinking about how the Israelites and even Abraham, dare I say, structured their week, you know, we have enough archaeology to support the Jewish calendar. And that's where we get from, in my opinion, a better argument for our Sabbath being on Saturday. Because um, I think in, in conversations I've had with people who are really worried about the literal creation, it really comes down to like, they're worried you're going to shake up the foundation for yeah. Saturday, Sabbath. It's all about Sabbath. Yeah. And so I feel like finding other ways to still support the Sabbath without being so like hung mm. up on on that uh, has worked better for me. And maybe that's partly because the people I'm doing outreach with are still some of my friends from the agnostic and atheist community. And if I sit there and try to argue literalism with them, it's just not going to go anywhere. <laughs> well, okay. Go anywhere. So Melissa, you've inspired me to be blunt. I think that the <laughs> argument, I, I, I genuinely believe this, that I think that the argument that it has to be a six little day creation um, if not, you start to lose your foundation for Sabbath is utter nonsense. I mean, <laughs> the foundation for Sabbath is is clear throughout Scripture. And sure. even, like, let's just even say that Genesis 1 and 2 are poetic in nature, that they're not trying to communicate specific literal ideas of how this went down, but trying to, con like, because we in the West have an idea of truth that's very empirical. It's based on data. This is exactly how it went, all that stuff. But the idea of truth is much bigger than that, which sounds like a really weird thing to say. But like, Yeah, that's the most liberal just... thing you said all month. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's not even liberal. It's like, like, this me. Is like there's more of like an Eastern way of, of thinking too, that That's just true. sees that truth is not just in the empirical data, but it's also in, in, in stories. It's also in like the deeper meaning behind these things. Let's just say that that's true. If you were to then fast, like, obviously if that's true, it's important enough to have this cycle 
that's sure. built into it, that Sabbath matters already. And then if you were to go to, to the book of Exodus, it's reinstated sure. by God as a, hey, listen, you've just come out of slavery. You need a cycle where you're not just working yourself to death, thinking that you can save yourselves by 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 working and working and working and working. You're going to just put yourself into slavery to yourself again, like uh, uh, or to into yourself instead of Egypt. So it's like there's so many actual like meaningful ways that Sabbath gets reinstituted. Yes. But whenever I hear someone like really get on that train about you know if we you know if it's not that then we start to lose our foundation for sabbath i'm like have you have you read the bible like it's just it's <laughs> it matters it's you don't it's not just that it was instituted in 7 days i don't know it's just one of those things sean sure. i i know that you're a literalist and that you disagree with me and all that stuff but you're you're not an adventist but that's okay you're still welcome in the discussion <laughs> um yeah i no, I agree with you that that I don't think that you have to that you have to have that one piece to prove the Saturday Sabbath. Um, I, I get why our churches maybe become a little defensive on that point because you do have a movement within the evangelical world where there's this idea that Sabbath is worth practicing. Uh, like you see, you see in the past few years, like John Mark Comer's book, um, you yes. see Jeff Bethke coming up with "To Hell with the Hustle." Uh, and others, uh, you know, even Tim Keller, one of my favorite authors and speakers, Presbyterian minister, talks a lot about Sabbath and has f- has for decades. His sermon on Sabbath is probably my favorite Sabbath sermon, and it's, you know, totally not Adventist. Uh, the point where it breaks <laughs> right. down is practically like he he breaks down, you know, much more of the same evangelical thought that it's it's more principle, not like you have to keep the Saturday Sabbath, but you should probably have a Sabbath. And that's the general consensus within the Christian world that's growing that idea of keep a Sabbath instead of the Sabbath. And so I think that our church maybe feels, combined with the fact that you see, um, you know, on Adventist campuses, this idea that maybe it wasn't six literal days. So that combined with both ends, I think our church has become a bit more defensive with that being— but you can argue for Sabbath from like for Sabbath needing to be a specific day just from the idea of like what it's about. It's really hard to keep Sabbath by yourself. It's Correct. meant for yeah. community. It's meant to be together. Yeah. Where where Adventism hilariously has it wrong is this idea that Sabbath is like you need to go to church on Sabbath. Like that was mm. never a thing that was instituted and even like in 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 the gospels jesus went to synagogue on sabbath on the sabbath as was his custom and sabbath they only even started having a synagogue sort of worship during the exile into to babylon where you needed to maintain some level and of course if all of the jewish people are to, are, are off on saturday what day are you going to meet it's just but but i say that not to diminish i'm not saying we shouldn't have church on saturday but we've really idolized that thing specifically mm. And so now it's like you have to go to church and then that becomes the thing. And then you don't go out to eat after church and, you, you know, all that stuff. It's just like, but then we totally miss what it is. So it's, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's just a really funny relationship we have with Sabbath because we're yeah. pretty proud of ourselves for like, well, we've been keeping the Sabbath for longer than anybody. But I'm like, yeah, yeah I, well, except for the Jews, but, <laughs> but <laughs> there is that. Yeah. They don't count. But we pride ourselves in that, like within Christianity at least. But it's like, but I think we've gotten a lot about it just wrong or just wrong ideas about it that that really that really prevent it from being what it can be. And so it's yeah. just a it's a really interesting relationship we have with it. No, and, and yeah, I agree with you that that that's what's happened. And there's there's enough to push that that we need a disruption that God created from creation not for us to pick. Like that's my argument with Tim Keller and others is we shouldn't pick our own Sabbath. Like we're meant to submit to what Mm. God wanted. 
And so yeah. it's less about being legal and more about the heart for what Sabbath is supposed to be, which is a disruption for my life. So what I practice, what I do on Sabbath is is not out of legalism. It's out of, well, where's my heart? Like if I'm not spending time yeah. in worship, if I'm not spending time with community of believers, you know, this and that, if I'm, if that's my practice, you know, that that's an outflow of my heart already. So it's less about my end product. It's more about, you know, what, what led to that. And so... Yeah, I, I agree. Well, I that guess, you don't I, guess I would. The... I might even put it differently that like there, there is a, there is a way that God has laid out that is far more likely to bear fruit that is meaningful and good. And when we live in that way, there is, there is a more likely, you know, uh, uh, a result of that. But we live in a broken world where not all of that will happen. But still, there's just that more likely. And so, because it's, it's, and then, and then, yes, maybe for some of us, it's, it goes down to like your heart's just, you know, I kind of want to do whatever I want to do and stuff. There, there definitely is those aspects of it. But when we fail to talk about it in that way, it becomes the exact sort of like, like, um, box or like almost like straight jacket that it feels like a lot of us grew yeah. up in. Yeah. yeah. I wish, and I wish, sorry, I was just going to say last piece here. Um, and I got to jump off in a minute too, but um, my last piece, I'll just, as, as a response to that is I, I wish for our church to take those pieces of like how valuable that is to have the Sabbath and be able to reach that with the world. Like we have our little echo chambers of ABCs where we publish our books and right. like when's the last time an Avenus author had a real impact on mm. like our, our, you know, the thought process of Christianity. And, and if we could just target that, what you just said, Jesse, of of just how beautiful it is to have that disruption that that God wants for us and and you know there's already this movement of sabbath is beautiful but what if it was this act of submission that we could we could reach mm-hmm. and i think we're caught up unfortunately on the um the weeds that that define our theology versus like hey how does this empower us to live closer and and understand god's character more going yeah. back to Melissa you said the ultimate beauty of adventism is god's character um and so part of that yeah. is having that that relationship of submitting to God's will and knowing what that will lead us into. Yeah. yeah and sure. I, I think also with any of these topics about, you know, creation or any of these lifestyle things or whatever it is that we're discussing when we're asking like, almost like we're almost trying to make it black or white. Like, is this right or wrong? I think so much of it is heart posture. Like in other words, when we look at these Adventist universities who are trying to you know, dare I say, adopt the evolutionist perspective on on creation or whatnot. Why? You know, why are we trying to do that? Are we trying to do that? Because again, I'm, I sound like a broken record, but are we trying to do that because we're portraying God's beautiful character by doing so? You know, are we helping build up people's view, making a clearer view of God in doing that? Or are we getting sidetracked by, you know, some other agenda, wanting to be more academically accepted, wanting to be this, wanting to be that, you know, what, what is our motive? And and I think without prayer and without asking the Holy Spirit to reveal that to us, we will get caught up in some of these things and maybe even with the best intentions end up on the wrong route, you know? So I think so much of it is heart posture as well. Well, that's the, that's kind of the interesting thing to me that I think a lot of uh, maybe more traditional spaces don't necessarily understand about the more progressive spaces, which is that like a lot of it is just, I, I want to believe in God and what I'm seeing does not match up with what I was yes. taught. Yes. And so it's, that's such a, like, what a weird space to be. And I think a lot of people in more traditional spaces don't understand the absolute like uh, disruption that has in your life and the, the um, what's the right word for it? The, 
I can't even think of the word, but it really, it really gives you this sense that everything that I, that I thought was true, isn't true. Oh no. What do I do with that? And so, and then then, the idea that I, that I kind of feel maybe what you're saying, Jesse, and you, you alluded to this, Melissa, is, uh, when you grew up in a you know a highly traditional you know at times fundamentalist space, the idea that's kind of given that's that's sold that's that's preached is God is love. This is who God is. This is the the character of God. But then as you sometimes follow the fruit of a lot of fundamentalist theology and like lifestyle, um, you know, it it ends up you end up seeing places and spaces where like oh this really doesn't feel like love or you you don't experience it as love. Is that kind of what you've experienced? Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. I think I think also just everyone, you know, I'm hearing C.S. Lewis quotes run through my head right now because I mm. think everyone at some point faces the problem of pain or, you know, at some point we have to confront, mm. like, am I doing this because my parents told me, because I was peer pressured? Like, why am I living this way? Why do I believe this? Mm-hmm. And for some of us, that turning point happens sooner than others. For some of us, we're really, you know, stubborn and we have to go through really hard things before we finally stop and say like wait is there a god like what is going on here Mm. and so i think we all have that even if i had like the picture perfect upbringing and everything about god was somehow magically presented to me perfectly i think i would still have a moment in my life where i would have to pause and say okay but am i on board like do Mm. i want this And so, yeah, yeah, I think, unfortunately, we have at times made it harder for our denomination and for ourselves than we need to. And some of our most beautiful aspects have also become our worst stumbling blocks, Mm, you know, and I'm thinking of Ellen White, like one of our most beautiful aspects is some of the things that she taught us through Mm -hmm. her own experience with God, but yet some of her works are the worst parts, the reason we're called a cult. So, (laughs) you know, what do you do with that? Yeah, the double-edged sword. No, you said that so well, like it, and that is... I think why I look at a lot of the people in the progressive space and I say, I don't think that they're given enough credit for wanting Mm. so badly to figure out how this all fits together in a way that maybe wasn't the way they grew up with. And I definitely disagree with a lot of like progressive spaces. I know, Anthony, you've talked about coming across pastors and stuff where he's like, I just don't think Jesus rose from the dead or or like just, and you're like, okay, like that's (laughs) not the, uh, the physical resurrection that was important. It's the metaphor of resurrection. Yeah. And it's like, well, Paul kind of does talk about how, you know, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, none of this matters and (laughs) and just stuff like that. Like it, and, and, and it, it, there's some things that I think are, are are pretty important, but there's some other stuff that seems to be fairly peripheral, or at least maybe it's okay for us to explore mm-hmm. um, the the other options that exist. It's kind of what you, what you were talking about with coming out of agnosticism. Like it's you're 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 exposed to a whole world that is just different than what you've grown yes. up with. And so it's like, and that's okay. And in fact, there's maybe even beauty and validity of validity to what is there that when you bring it into a space that might have more groundedness, um, or at least we might feel might have more groundedness. <laughs> it's sure. like, it, it's, it's actually can be a really wonderful thing to, to, to have to, to know of and to, to bring to your life. So that's one of, I think, my big gripes with where we're at as Adventists and with what it means to be an Adventist, because we might really, really, really focus on some of this stuff. And this is where I really appreciate how you have approached these things, where it's like, well, if we look at our, our beliefs as a whole, there is this beautiful picture of God. And there is, there is, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I'll just say this, 
that my interpretation of that is is there is an openness maybe or there there should be an openness to mm-hmm. maybe pushing the boundaries of that stuff a little bit not because we need to change our beliefs but as much as like it's okay to explore that and it will bear itself out over time if yeah. it's not if it if it's mm. not of god i mean it's it's mm-hmm. it's what uh yeah. is it gamaliel or gamaliel i don't know people have said that to me differently but the the guy in acts where uh he stands up he's one of the pharisees and he says guys listen we've had numerous people claim to be messiahs and they keep mm. coming and they it's a flash in a pan and they die out if this is of god it won't die out and yeah. I kind of feel that to some degree as well. It's like if we had more confidence that, hey, we believe God is working in this, let's let some of this stuff be a conversation as opposed yes. to just being like, no, we can't have that conversation. It's this way. And yeah. it's like that doesn't do a certain, it does a disservice, especially to those people who are genuinely trying to find a God that makes sense. But it, that is real, but makes sense to the context that they're living in because God, yes. God, you know, in some of the ways it's been presented, he doesn't make any sense to, yeah. to people's context. So I think also like not to shift the conversation, but I think it's also worth mentioning that there's a difference between, you know, experiencing something in your life and championing that thing. Yeah. Because for example, when you look at stories in the Bible, there's a lot of messiness. Like we have polygamy, we have David killing people for their wives. And by the way, let's just pause on that story because this really <laughs> has blown my mind. David like kills off this dude, steals his wife, sleeps Nab- with her, does Nabal, all the things right? he shouldn't be doing. Or are you talking about Uriah or Nabal? Uh, uh, Uriah or, or Nabal? Uriah, Uriah. Okay, yeah, yeah, right. There's multiple too. Yeah, That's like yeah. <laughs> multiple. And so, and so, you know, you know, from the fundamentalist view, you would expect God to come in there and be like, "Well, that's it. Like, divorce her, throw her. Like, you can't keep yeah. her. You can't keep sleeping with her. You can't have kids with her. No, like, no, there should be no pleasure between you and her because it was all sinful and wrong. And yet, we don't see that happening. Mm. So it's a weird situation. Like, does that is that permission to do that? No, but is that evidence that god works with a lot of very messy things and yet still in the mess wants people to find like dare i say happiness like is there a pleasurable side to being in a relationship with god even in the mess and i'm Mm. saying pretty radical things here but we have Mm -hmm. to consider these things you know god is not in those moments more worried about fighting against polygamy or fighting against what david has just done and And all that being said, David still fully feels and recognizes that what he did was wrong. He still for like he still comes forward and repents. He still so I think sometimes we try to play God and Mm. we we feel like we have to, like I said, champion certain things that we're not asked to champion because Mm. we're scared that if we don't like God's not going to do his job or the person's not going to mm-hmm. learn. And, and it kind of leads, I'm on a segue here now to, yeah, yeah. it kind of leads to my view of sin. Like growing up, sin was always taught to me as like bad because God said so. And because if you sin, God will be mad at you and you don't want God to be mad at you because mm-hmm. you're going to burn up. And like that was sin. But when you really look at God's character and look at sin in light of God's character, sin is pain. I mean, that's what sin is. And so even when you're looking at things that the mainstream Christian culture has labeled as sinful, like the appealing part of the sinful act, like let's use clubbing, you know, drinking, going, getting drunk, because that, that was my something I had an issue with. 
you know, the appealing part of that wasn't like the killing my brain cells part. You right. know? Like <laughs> the appealing part of that was the social aspect and mm-hmm. the like fun and mm-hmm. and being sociable and having fun and living like, you know, there are verses in Ecclesiastes that say like live your life. Paul says like live your life. King Solomon says live your life. Like Mm-hmm. we get ourselves in a rut when we try to say like the pleasurable side of things is the sin and rather yeah. it's not like so the sin is attaching itself. Mm-hmm. And so to have mm. this fully well-rounded view of God's character, again, broken record, like I keep saying God's character, because when you understand God's character, all these other components really do fall into place and you understand yeah. the issue with sin is the pain. And so, yes, when people choose these sinful things, ultimately they're going to learn from the pain that it was the wrong you know choice and it's not because somebody came and beat them over the head like mm-hmm. when i came back to the church nobody had to come up to me and tell me don't drink or don't have sex <laughs> right. outside of marriage or don't do this or don't do that i learned those things on my own you know yeah, from making from bad decisions wow. you know and so yeah i think we try to play god sometimes that's really good i yeah it to me it almost seems as if you're you're giving the character of God feels like the key almost that unlocks the whole thing. It, that's kind of what I'm hearing you say over this whole thing. You know, part of our heart behind this series was trying to ask the question of a bunch of different thinkers along the spectrum. Like, is it possible to hold things differently and still be Adventist mm. to, you know, those, those things that are in the Adventist backpack, all the, some of the things we've mentioned already today, some of those distinctive beliefs, is it possible to hold those kind of differently, maybe with more or less looseness, and still all say, hey, we're part of the, we're, we have a seat at the table, we're part of mm-hmm. the family. And to me, what I hear you saying is the key to that, that kind of unlocks the door, I'm going to go deep in the metaphor, the key that unlocks the door to the, to the dinner room Um is like the character of God. If if that's at the forefront, then perhaps we're able to, that's the thing that we all come back to together, that we all yeah. agree on. Is that accurate? Is that kind of? Yeah, I think that's where I'm at. And I think maybe in some regards, it's too big for Adventism because, <laughs> yeah. you know, I I don't think I can live my life limited to the Adventist denomination as much as I love it and as much as I want to work within it. I think at the end of the day, what I really want is I want to know God and I mm. want to have assurance that he's good and that, you know, my purpose in life mattered and, and that I did what I could to support him since he is good. And mm. so that's what it comes down to for me. And I think that's bigger than Adventism. You know, if the Adventist church closed down tomorrow, that would still be my life goal. Mm-hmm. Mm. Wow. Yeah. What, man, I love what you said. And I, I think that a, a, a sadness for, for me is that at its core, Adventism in many spaces has become like, let's get in the castle and protect this for everything that we can. And what's really sad about that is that portrays a, a an idea of the character of God. And yeah. like you said, like it's we get into this place where we're trying to protect it more than anything. And more than maybe um, even God is. Hmm. Yeah, like like it's it's that it's that it's it's and and I get I even get why there's this heart behind it that says we want to protect people from pain, I think. Or yeah. Maybe maybe it's not that altruistic. Maybe it's we want to we want to, you know, make sure that we're holy enough to get to heaven and part of it is part <laughs> the of it legalism is, that I want is underneath. You, 
yeah, part of it is is maybe there's a bit of control that gets in that gets laid into that, which is if I can control your behavior, I'm going to feel better about my own. And I don't know. There's sure. there's there's lots of layers to it, and I don't even want to try and begin to 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 claim claim that I that I know. But it's just thoughts. But like the the sadness is that in that level of control, we actually lose what it is to love people because what it is to mm-hmm. love people is to not really be able to control them. That's and, that's the core adventist idea like yeah as well, any yeah, of my professors well, yeah. here you For you sure. just hit like the core adventist idea to. wow like it's God is so God. embedded in me i know you're I, so <laughs> adventist that you you circled all the way back i mean because that's as any of my professors here they'll all say like that's the core adventist idea god is not a god of control but love yeah. yes and free will if god yeah. wants people to free have free will then we also need to want people to have free will yeah. And I don't mean fake free will. Like, I don't mm. mean free will where you choose it and you come and yeah, tell me yeah. and I'm nice to your face, but then I gossip about you and say like, oh, you know, Melissa got pregnant out of wedlock. I did mm. it. That's an example. But, you know, <laughs> right. you yeah. know oh, boy, yeah, yeah. did you see what Melissa was doing on Friday night? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. but to my face, oh, we want you here. Come as you are. Yeah. So there also has to be a level of sincerity, you know? Mm. And I yeah. think that it, it reminds me of the Bible verse that dis- or the parable really that discusses the wheat among the tares. You know, we will always have, and this isn't even like the the conservative and the liberal side of things, but we will always have one group of people that are truly seeking to portray God's character of love. And we will also always have that group of people that have got caught up in another agenda. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that we will ever get rid of the people that are caught up in the agenda, you know? Yeah. And so we have to do the best that we can by having conversations like this, by finding like-minded mm. believers, by helping people who've been hurt to understand like, hey, I've been hurt too, and mm-hmm. I still found a way for this to work for me, and I'm mm. happy about it. Yeah. We have to find those routes, you know, because this is the world that we live in. And and I think waiting yeah. for it to magically change, it'll never happen. And I'm encouraged because I feel like we're finally catching on to that. We're finally realizing we need to mm-hmm. talk, we need to act. Even if that stuff is going on, we have to push forward. That's well, really trip. profound. Sorry to cut you up. That's really, um, I love what you said just now. If we believe in a God of free will, then we have to embody free will in the way yes. we treat others. That's, I almost wish, could you, could you talk a little more about that for a sec? Like, what is that? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you gave some examples like, you know, if Melissa's doing X thing, we're not going to judge her immediately. What, what does that look like in community? for us to embody because that's i feel like that's the thing when you are really traditional that's the thing that's the fear that's that is exactly the fear if we let people have that free will then they're just going to either hurt themselves or hurt others or hurt or hurt me you know like there's there's going to be an out and yet we we as you've talked about today so well like we've seen the god of the scripture seems to do that for people (laughs) he seems to give that that freedom so how do how do we be like God, I guess. How do we how do we do that for people? <laughs> I mean, I think there's a Solve fear of all. corruption. You know, mm. I think there's a fear like either you're going to corrupt yourself, or if we accept you, you're going to corrupt the church, and mm. then you're going to corrupt me, and then I'm going to burn up. Because I can't say I'm going to go to hell because we don't believe in that. Right. But we still have enough scary things in our doctrine oh, yeah. to make it pretty yeah. bad. You know, yeah. I still oh, don't yeah. want to be dust at the end of the day. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I think it's a fear of corruption. And and I think the only remedy is, it sounds stereotypical, but to fix our eyes on Christ and to mm. see that it's possible. You know, Christ was the perfect example in that 
we can teach standards, we can have morals, we can acknowledge, you know, sex is meant for marriage, we can acknowledge it's healthier to eat clean meat only or be vegetarian even for some people. We can acknowledge all of that and explain it, but we can't dictate it. We can't Mm -hmm. mandate it. You know, it's one thing to give people information. It's another to say, you have to accept it this way. And not only do you have to accept it, but you have to now implement it the way I implement it. Right. And I think that's the difference even between Lucifer and God. You know, Mm. they both have their standards and their ways of viewing things, but one is trying to force it. You know, Mm -hmm. Lucifer comes in as a snake and tries to manipulate Eve Mm. into doing it his way, which he succeeds at. And then we have God who's casually walking in the garden being available. You know, come talk to me about it if you want and I'll teach it to you. But it's your, you come to me, you, you know, we, we have a relationship together and then you decide what you want to do. And Mm. it's two different approaches that I think we still see carried out in the world today. Mm. Well, and, and what I, what I find really sad and okay, I just want to be clear. I could. I have tons of critiques on the liberal side as well. Yes, he does. I, Believe I, me, he does. I, yeah. I, <laughs> but but I, I think I focus on traditionalism in conversations like this because I think it's the, it's the, the vast majority of Adventism. Mm. And what I find, as I was just pro, I was just thinking about it as we were talking, like traditionalism tends to focus on on control, and and it is really about controlling my world. It's not actually about controlling you. Um, yes. But but by extension, it becomes controlling you. Yes. So what what it is. is I'm trying to control my salvation and part of my salvation and, and, and my life and the way I think need, things need to go. Um, it's transactional. I'm trying to protect that. And then yes. by extension, I need to control you and your life because you're going to affect me and my life and you're going to, and you're going to affect people I love. And so therefore, and actually what, what is so ironic about it is it becomes so me centered with yes. the, with the gloss of, I care about other people. Yeah. And I'm not even trying to say that people don't care about other people, but at the very core motivation, I think it becomes, I care about myself and I'm trying to get me saved. And what is so terrifying about what Jesus does is that he doesn't care about himself yes. uh, to the, to, like he cares about himself in a healthy way, but not sure. his motivations are not out of self-care. Self-preservation. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that's what's wild about he it. He lays down and, his life freely. Yes. And that's what's scary, I think, about holding belief systems like you have stated. And I fully yes. agree with you. I'm not disagreeing with you. But like, I, I I think that's what's scary for many of us about holding belief systems like that. Because if I hold the belief system that says, you know, I honestly think it's it's best to wait until you're married to have sex. Um, how, you know, how can I hold that? Mm-hmm. And, and then like, you know, if my kid comes to me or if I find out my kid is doing that, can I still love them in spite of that while mm-hmm. still holding a value that I don't lose? Mm-hmm. And yes. that's such a, that's, that's a, I think that's tough. a, that's a tough tension. Like we just have to yes. acknowledge that that's a tough tension. But what's funny is that acknowledging that it is, I think is part of the battle because in, if, if instead of acknowledging it, what often happens is, well, no, we just can't lose the value. So we have to hold to the value. And yeah. it's like, now what we've done is actually push someone away from the opportunity to experience God um, work in their mistakes, like you talk about with David. And what's yes. what I find really important, and, and I and, and I see this with with the idea of sin, is that God gave us free will, and His forgiveness does not rescue us from the com- the consequences of our sin. It, yes. it rescue His forgiveness rescues us from a separation from Him. Like like you know, if I don't forgive somebody, they will never have the opportunity to be in relationship with me. 
like yeah. God forgiving me is an invitation to be in re- relationship with him that what I do won't affect, uh, won't, won't keep him away from me. Like that's a wild thing. Yeah. However, David's whole family falls apart after, after what he did. Oh, and yeah. I think that's the thing that like we can, we can understand about what God has laid out for us and why it's so important. Like you said, that the character of God matters so much because there's this God who's like, Hey, I've laid things out a really good way. You always have the option to do things differently, but I'm just warning you, it won't go well if you it's do things. It's not going to work. Yes, yeah. exactly. And exactly. so th- like, it, like if we had, if we're able to adopt and, and, and hold, if we're able to meet God on our own, on our own, first of all, but then as he works in us to have that heart that looks at others and says, Hey, listen, God has a way that he's laid out, but I will love you regardless of what yes. you do. Yes. I mean, what a more life-giving way to 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 show people the love of God rather than to be, hey, you really need to do this. And then all of our yes. social pressure and all of the systems that we've created and all that stuff makes you feel like if you don't do it this way, you're going to be an outsider and an outcast yeah. and you can't come back to this community. And that's yeah. what like, like that's what, I this agree. is weaponizing shame. Thing. Yeah. 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 I mean, it makes me think that we need to let sin be its own consequence. Mm. You know, I think we have this attitude that like we need to add to the consequence to make yeah. sure that you really learn so that yeah. you'll you won't do it again and you'll be safe. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and I'm not necessarily speaking in like a parent or a teacher role because I think it does change a little bit as we're thinking about raising children. Mm-hmm. I'm more talking about like in a community when it's adult yeah. to adult, you know, peer to peer. Yeah. Like I don't in my this is just my view, but I don't think I need to inflict more pain on someone by belittling them or making them feel yeah. judged or reminding them of what the Bible says mm-hmm. yeah. when they come to me and say, you know what, I messed up and I'm pregnant out of marriage and I have no idea mm-hmm. what to do. Yeah. Or when they come to me and say, oh, I, I just had an abortion. Yeah. And that is yeah. not the time for me to say, well, you know, abortion is murder and the Bible, you know, <laughs> right. it's not the time. Yeah. And, and oh, yeah. the consequence, they're already experiencing it, to be mm-hmm. frank. Like sin is bad enough on its own. You know, people are dying. People are starving. People are yeah. in pain. Like mm. there's enough horrible, horrible stuff in the world to prove that sin is a problem. Yeah. And that choosing sin has a consequence. I don't need to make up an extra yeah. weight for someone to carry. You know, mm. my role wow. in that moment when someone is broken is to love them, yeah. you know, mm. and to say, I don't see you any differently just mm. because you messed mm. up and had that consequence or are going yeah. to have that consequence. Like the consequence is not my problem. Well, the and, love and it, is my problem. Wow. Part of that is very scary because what if they do it again? And it's like, right. have you ever thought that's of what's God and you... It, that's, that, that's the Jesus and the woman caught in adultery is quoted right there in that yeah, moment, going right? Like no going more, to no yeah. more. But what what I what I've always found, not always, not when I was five. What I have <laughs> recently found very meaningful about that is that you can interpret it that way, or you can interpret it that God is encouraging her. Hey, listen, you don't have to live like this anymore. Because look at where this got you. It's it's pretty much what you're saying, Melissa. Look at where this mm-hmm. got you. I don't need to explain that to you. Like you almost died right in front of me, you know, like yeah. <laughs> because of the community, let alone all of the, 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 the things that this life has done to you, um, as a, as an individual, I don't need to explain that to you, but I am going to encourage you. You can live differently. And yes. that is always an encouragement. If we're not, if we don't have that to offer to people, then like, what's the point? It's like, if we don't have yes. something that's like, Hey, there is a better way, but what we have done, especially as Adventists, this happens across Christianity, but we obviously we. Adventism is our family, so we can talk about it. But what Adventism (laughs) has done is said, if you live outside of this, 
you can't be part of the family again until you conform again, or until yeah. you say that you feel so bad for what you've done. Hey, listen, I reject all of that because look at all, like I went and lived my life. I did all the bad things and I rejected all of that. Now I've come back and I'm here to tell you about how right you are. You know, it's yeah. like, that almost just confirms the exact That's the classic testimony. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and it just confirms a continuation of treating people like that. When What what I'm finding being here in, in Loma Linda, which is obviously the heretic capital of <laughs> Adventism. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Whereas uh, I'm at Andrews, so I... My you were in the promised land. Yours, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what I have found so amazing about this, and I say this fully and truthfully, is that... Um, there has been an attitude here at Anthem with the, the church that I'm involved with, Anthem that, that is on the campus of Loma Linda University Church in the service of it. But there's been an attitude amongst the leadership and the people here that it's like, you can just be here. Like you don't mm -hmm. have, there's, there's, there is no, there's not a barrier for entry. The only thing that will get you like kicked out of this place is if you can't treat other people yes. with that heart of love. Because yeah. like it, it's it's like for there to be safety in a home, you can't come in here and being being toxic towards people and treating them sure, uh, sure. Uh, poorly. Um, but at the same time, like there's that heart. And what's amazing is how many people just feel that and how healing mm -hmm. that in and of itself is. Yeah. There's a lot of issues. Liberalism and progressivism often lacks a commitment. It lacks that sense of duty. It lacks a um, maybe even a clear picture of who God is because it just maybe a lot of progressivism is built on the I reject the traditionalism that's my belief system <laughs> yeah right but i believe so, that i don't believe in this yes exactly yes. <laughs> and that almost gives me like a higher like i may i may feel, feel a little self-righteous yeah sure. so I, that's a that's a huge negative but that in and of itself feels like one of the it's so simple once you see it yeah but it's so hard to have ever seen it in the context that i grew up in and mm. so and that's a that's a sad thing and so that's why mm. like what you've talked about with adventism today is a really encouraging thing because oh, yeah. it's you're not talking about it with the idea that our belief systems don't matter. In mm -hmm. fact, you have, if anything, affirmed um, things that I may even balk at confirming. Um, <laughs> and I don't, I don't mean that. Um, I, I don't mean that in any sort of negative way, but just I mean that, sure. like, like I appreciate that you that you said the things that you said, and that is a that is a good place to be because it's like there's there's a there's a solidity there you're you're mm. you you see the organization for what it is and the belief system for what they are and you appreciate them and you're willing to stand on them at the same time not putting on the blinders and just saying okay yes. never going to question this ever yes yes mm. like that's that, what a what a far more healthy place to stand than maybe maybe we all three of us grew up grew up in Oh, trust me, I, I also grew up in a tough place, you know, and I've been through a lot of hard things. And I think when you go through hard things, like I said, it's the problem of pain, you know, it causes mm -hmm. you to really have to figure out what you believe in. And, and for me, because of my personality, it makes me figure out, you know, what am I willing to share with others? I have to be mm -hmm. able to genuinely share what I believe in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Wow. What is, as I mean, maybe as a, as a sort of a closing space, um, what do you, what do you hope for Adventism? Mm -hmm. I mean, we're all we're mm -hmm. all relatively young. We're millennials. I say relatively because <laughs> yes. we just hit thirty. Oh, we're but, not uh, I know. We're, we're losing times. it. <laughs> we're losing it, guys. Um, my body still aches. But uh, just the, so a quick reminder that middle age begins at thirty-five. So there's a little existential crisis for both of you. It's coming quickly. Yes. <laughs> my right wife and I literally. My wife and I literally had a conversation yesterday. We're like, college was yesterday, right? Oh no, it was like ten years ago. Like ten years ago. Yes. Um, anyways. <laughs> So, but, but yeah, you look forward at Adventism and, and I know there's a lot of, 
I mean, we had a conversation recently with Ted Wilson and just having that conversation with him um, highlights, I don't mean this in any negative way, just talking to the president of, of, of the, of the Adventist church, just that office will remind you how deep the divisions run. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't mean structural, like I don't mean like the NAD or I mean like just the division in the church runs. Intellectually, you're saying ideologically. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Sure. Sure. Um, and we're young people in the West. So obviously we have a very specific view, but all of Mm -hmm. that being said, like, like you look forward to Adventism. What are you, what are you excited about? What do you hope for? Yeah. I mean, I think I've kind of echoed it throughout the whole conversation, but when I look forward, I, I see God's true character being revealed to more people. Mm. And, and I think my view for Adventism is bigger than a denomination. Like I'm at the end of the day, I'm not so concerned with, you know, if we have X amount of baptisms on the books, on the record. Um, now, that's not to discount the value of the organization, because I I really think there is a lot of value in the organization and having a place, you know, a center of influence where we can all like-mindedly come together and achieve, you know, what I'm talking about, being able to portray God's character. But, you know, I think of the Great Commission. I think of hmm. people being ready when Christ comes. I mean, my answer is very Adventist. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want us to be ready. And I want us to not just be ready in, in, how do I say this? I don't want us to just go through the motions. Mm-hmm. I want us to be passionate. You know, I want to see us having conversations like this. Sorry to, so, sorry to cut you Passionate yeah. as in like. I mean, sorry, ready. What is ready? Oh, being ready. Yeah. Um, that's a very, that's kind of a loaded Adventist term. That's a itself. loaded term. It is. <laughs> yeah. What is ready? I'm really question? showing my uh, heritage. Um, <laughs> Ready as in having a real relationship with God, you know, Mm. really feeling like if I was face to face with God, I'd be speaking to a friend. I I think that's missing for a lot of us. We're really good at telling you culturally, you know, doctrinally what an Adventist is, but like, what does it mean to know God? Mm. And I think if we're serious about the Great Commission, if we want to share with people how to know God, we first have to know him. So I would hope that we would utilize all of our knowledge and our resources and our structure and all the things we've talked about today to move forward into the Great Commission and to reveal God's character to the world, as you know, cliche as that sounds. Mm. I'm going to steal that. I'm going to steal that that idea of like being ready because that the, just the, good. The, the idea of like being face to face with God and and feeling like you're talking to a friend. Yeah. What a, yes. That's just like, that's, it's just such a more holistic idea than like being face to face with God and knowing that if he judged you, you'd be good. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. We got to kind of change our perspective on judgment. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. And I feel like there's just a lot, a lot. I mean, I, I fully believe that God is a judge and that he cares about justice more than we ever will. Um, so I, I have a, I think I have a very high view of God as a judge and, and judgment, but like it, it seems to be that that God that is a judge and cares about justice first and foremost seems to want to interact with us as a, as someone who is close to us, not far away looking at us. Yeah. So that's it. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a hopeful view. Thank you for sharing it. That's beautiful language. Melissa, I I just want to say thank you for being on the podcast. Um, If anyone wants to catch uh, your podcast, uh, where is it? Where, like what streaming service is it on? And, and, and is there a specific like name or handle that you use? Yeah, so the title is The Church Hurt Podcast. We are currently most active on YouTube and Apple Podcasts. We do have our podcast on Spotify, but we've had some technical difficulties. So 
maybe when this airs, you can find us there. Maybe not. <laughs> um, but definitely YouTube and uh, Apple Podcasts. And then also we have an Instagram account, the Church Hurt Podcast. The handle is Church Hurt Podcast. Um, and then, of course, there's me as well, if you want to connect with me and then find the podcast that way. My handle is just unmistakably Melissa on Instagram and on YouTube. It's titled A Bible and a Girl. Nice. nice. Awesome. Thank you so much, you seriously. So much. And I, I just, I genuinely say that um, I'm, I am more encouraged coming out of this conversation Aww. about the future oh, yeah. Adventist. So. <laughs> Praise God. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got Jesse to. I don't know. He was, he was, he was really engaged. So I'm just, I just thank you so much. Am I not on other ones? You're, you're always engaged, but I could tell this one was special. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so appreciate we that. appreciate you, Melissa. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. I, I'm yeah. happy to chat with you guys whenever. It's so fun. It's great. Absolutely. <laughs> Let's do it again. Sounds good. Well, all right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Seeking What They Sought. Before we rush to a close, wanted to just pause and say thank you. We are really, really grateful for you all, not only for listening, but for all the conversations that we've been having recently uh, from emails and messages, DMs, uh, text messages you've sent us if you know us. Uh, we are just really, really grateful for those conversations. They're the reason we did this podcast and uh, we're just really, really uh, grateful for you all. So please, if you haven't, if you have thoughts and you haven't reached out, uh, please uh, send us an email um, or send us uh, just a DM on Instagram or, uh, or you know, drop a comment under one of the, one of the posts. We would love to have conversations and uh, hear what you think. The second is a big thank you, Patreons. Now, if you didn't know, we actually have a Patreon. Uh, it's something that we mentioned uh, during the off-season, but we really, really wanted to up the ante and be a little more intentional, a little more professional uh, going forward with this new series and going forward with the podcast in general. So we have started a Patreon. There are some fun, cool perks that you get for signing up. And uh, we actually have our first three Patreons already, and I just wanted to give them a shout-out. Uh, their names are Josue, Michael, and Aaron, we are super grateful for you guys. Thank you so much for already stepping in and uh, supporting us. It's uh, it's going a long way to, to help us make more content like this uh, for you guys, and we, we really appreciate it. So if you want to support us, you can hit up the Patreon. There's a link in our, our, our bio on Instagram, and uh, we would be really, really grateful. Well, I think that's just about it. So we will see you guys next time on Seeking What They Saw.